Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 5, Episode 21, Alternate History, with Eric Flint and Mary Robinette Kowal. It's 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Howard Taylor. I'm Dan Wells. I'm Mary. I'm Eric. Uh, We're being joined, as I said before, uh, by Mary Robinette Kowal and Eric Flint because we're here at uh, Superstars Writing Seminars in Salt Lake City at the Red Lion Hotel. Brandon can't join us because he's on some panel about movie rights, and none of us are interested in movie rights. We are interested (laughs) in alternate history. Uh, Mary, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, uh, introduce people to you. All right. Um, So I won the Campbell Award for Best New Writer in 2008. I'm the uh, Vice President of Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. And my debut novel is set in 1814. It's basically Jane Austen with magic, hence my interest in alternate history. Eric, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I have a background in history. I've got a master's degree in history. and I've been following it all my life. So when I started writing science fiction, uh, I got my first novel published in 1997, which was not alternate history, although it's kind of closely related. I just sort of naturally wound up doing a lot of historically based fiction because it's what I know. Excellent. Well, welcome to the cast. We're excited to start. Dan, you got some questions for us? I do, and I want to start off by asking, in case any listeners don't know, what is alternate history? What, what, is, what is that genre of fiction? Uh, broadly defined, it's you take real history and change something and then write a story based on what history would have looked like or could have looked like if something or other had changed. And it broadly divides into two different types. There is a type of alternate history that is sometimes called pure alternate history, which is where it's really purely historical fiction. You just make a change in some historical event. So like if the if the V2 rockets had worked and the shelling of Britain had if yeah. Britain had fallen. Yeah, the classic instance has been done several times now is what if Robert E. Lee had won the Battle of Gettysburg? That's a sort of very common one. Mm-hmm. All right, then there's a second type that that involves a time travel element where the it's, a, it's, it's an alternate history, but what triggers it off is someone, usually someone from modern day, goes back in time, and, and his or her arrival is what makes the change happen. This is okay. often called the duck Mr. President theory. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm assuming does not mean that the president is a duck. No, no. no. I mean, you, you show up in the booth at Ford Theater and, you know, and, and yell save. out, you know, yeah, duck okay. Mr. President, and then, you know, you wrestle and hopefully don't get killed, right. uh, you know, boost to the ground. All right, so that's what alternate history is. What is it about that that drew you to it? I know you, you said, Eric, that you had a lot of background in history already. Uh, what, what was it that got you excited about 
1632, for example? What led you to want to write that? Well, basically all the fiction I write, whether it's technically altered history or not, mm -hmm. reflects my own interests. And what I'm interested in when I write stories about it are sort of broad social changes. Uh, I tend to write those kind of stories rather than, 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 although I have written a few that weren't, but but I tend to be drawn to that more than, for instance, uh, adventure stories involving a, f a small number of people. Mm -hmm. I have written a few of those. but uh, So even, even um, fiction I write that's not altered history is going to tend to be very close. For instance, I'll give you an example. Uh, with Kathy Wentworth, I'm doing a series that started with Course of Empire. And it's based on the premise that about 20 years from now, an alien species conquers the Earth. But the underlying model for it that I have in mind was the Roman conquest of the Greek world. Oh, okay. And the way so you're using the history I'm as using a model. real history, and I'm using it as, it's not a direct model. I make some changes, but I've always been kind of fascinated by you have one culture that is militarily dominant, conquers another, but the other culture is actually more sophisticated. And so over time, it becomes very, it's hard to figure out who exactly conquered who. <laughs> who won? <laughs> because, for instance, by the time you get to the later Roman Empire, a few hundred years later, Greek is the official language of the empire, although they kept calling themselves Romans, and they considered themselves to be the continuation of the Roman Empire, and it lasted until 1453. It lasted another thousand years. But they spoke Greek, and it was the culture had actually become more Greek than Roman. So that's the underlying premise. I just, it's the kind of stories I like. So I'm sort of naturally drawn toward alternate history because you can tell that story very easily in that setting, and I have a background in history, so Writers tend to write what they know about because you can you can fill your fiction with a kind of texture and density mm -hmm, that yeah. that you can't if you're writing about something that you really don't know much. I'm about. I'm hearing two things that are good takeaways for our listeners. Uh, the first is what you just said. You know, write what you know, and with a master's degree in history, you probably know a thing or two about it. And the second is write what you're passionate about. Yeah, these yeah. are things that you love, and right. so and that's probably why I loved reading 1632 so much is because you loved writing it. Yeah, I did. Mary, what about you? Well, for me, it was also much the same, the, the writing what you love, because I, I love Jane Austen. Mm -hmm. um, I love fantasy. And, and in certain ways, what I was really interested in was what would happen to fantasy if you tried to cram it into Jane Austen's world. Um, Jane Austen herself hated, like, was, was writing all of her books as a reaction to the gothics of the period. So she would never write a fantasy in a billion, billion years. Yeah. The only way I could Wait, make that... What about Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies? Is that... Not um, hers. <laughs> I know. Despite what some historians I guess may tell I, you. I guess I'm illiterate. Oh, yeah. Sorry to but, interrupt. But, I mean, that is technically an alternate history as well. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, now, now, when we were talking about types of alternate history, I think we neglected a major type, which is our world except with magic. Yes. We have, for example, Naomi Novik's Temeraire series, right. your series, which is our world except this kind of illusionary magic that, that you... The Dresden did. Files novels. Mm -hmm. they're, the Sherry well, Priest's Bone Shaker. Well, yeah, that's true. Steampunk yes. falls, falls a little it's, bit into this as well. It's very much the, uh, alternate history. Probably the classic was uh, Randall Garrett's Lord Darcy stories. There's a long hmm. history of crossing alternate history with fantasy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm doing a series of Mercedes Lackey um, that's of that type. It starts with Shadow Lion. It's now up to four novels. And the premise is set in a Renaissance, recognizably Renaissance Europe, but a lot of things are different. 
because there was a change that's actually theological, it goes back a thousand years. So the church is different, everything's different, and plus there's magic, so you got demons and everything else you're dealing with. It's kind of a hybrid. And whether you want to call that alternate history, or I actually tend to think of it as hard fantasy, because it's fantasy, but we're rooting it very narrowly mm -hmm. to a set social framework, so you can't do anything you want. If you, right. if you go back to the, uh, to the idea of urban fantasy, not so much fantasy set in a city, which is what urban fantasy really is, but, yeah. but the idea of fantasy in a, in a real world setting, what, what I'm writing is basically urban fantasy just 200 years ago. Yeah. There's not that much of a difference. It's like, uh, one, one thing that people talk about is the, uh, the deep story, um, which is the change point. Uh, so, so you'll have the, the story that you're telling, and then there's also the deep story, which is, which is the change point. Like um, Aliette de Baudard writes several stories uh, in which the Chinese discovered the new world first. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that Aliette? We'll pretend that it is for the moment. Wait, you know what? If it's, if it's not, we'll fix it in the liner notes. <laughs> um, but she also, she also writes, uh, mostly she does stuff with the Aztecs. Um, where the empire didn't collapse. Okay. And Very so cool. she's writing, she'll, she'll have stories that are set in the contemporary world, but the Aztec empire never collapsed, and so it, it's just affected everything. But she doesn't mess around with... Which means you could get good mole's at a barbecue in Houston. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Man, that sounds like a good I world. want to live in that world. Yeah. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Let's take a break for just a moment uh, for our book of the week. Um, we're sponsored by Audible, and uh, this week's book is Torch of Freedom by Eric Flint and David Weber. Uh, it's available at uh, it's available on Audible. Eric, can you tell us a little bit about the book? Uh, it's part of David Weber's Honor Harrington uh, universe, which is a very popular series that is now up to... A dozen books in. Uh, oh, it's over a dozen novels and four or five anthologies of short fiction. Uh, the way this story got started was I wrote a short novel for an anthology called From the Highlands. David liked the characters, asked me to continue it. I wrote a long novella for the next anthology called uh, Fanatic. And he liked the character and he suggested that I, you know, we would do a novel together set in his universe but not where the main character, Honor Harrington, she only appears or has a cameo appearance once. This is in the, the so prequel. So you don't need Honor Harrington's continuity in order to appreciate the no, story. No, you don't, although it's got a very rich backstory. And right. I, I honestly would recommend that people not start with that book, you know, start with the Honor Harrington series itself. But uh, Torture Freedom just came out in hardcover. The paperback just came out. Uh, it's actually the sequel to the book I wrote called Crown of Slaves, which is also available on Audible, which uh, is oh. the first book in, in the series. That came out like three so years Crown ago. So Crown of Slaves. Crown of Slaves. And, and then Torture Freedom. Freedom. Yeah. You get two okay. books of the week for the Two books of the week for the price of one And for anyone who likes the Honor Harrington series, it's a, it comes in from a slightly different angle, but it's gotten woven into the main line of the story. And uh, 
you know, I think it's a good book. Excellent. Well, thank you, Eric. Um, and for those of you uh, following along at home, go to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse, and you can start a 14-day free trial, download a free book, and we're recommending Crown of I Slaves. Like Crown of Slaves, yeah. Crown of Slaves, and then go ahead and pick up Torture Freedom second. Um, back we, on topic. Yes, let's go into some specific advice now for listeners out there who want to write alternate history. Where do you recommend they start? Uh, what, what kind of things do they need to keep in mind? Well, start with a period of history that you're excited about, um, because you're going to have to spend a ridiculous quantity of time researching it. Any period of history that you pick, there will be someone who knows it intimately and will call you on every single thing you get wrong. At the same time, don't obsess over the details, because the story is the important part. Mm -hmm. And it is an alternate history. So, you know, the thing that they're complaining about, it just didn't happen that way in your history. What do you think, Eric? Well, uh, I, first, I absolutely agree with Mary. Uh, pick a period that you like, that you want to write about. It also helps if it's a period you know a great deal about, but that's less important. I did not actually know that much about the Thirty Years' War when I started when I got the idea of 1632. It was not an area I had ever specialized in, and I actually wound up having to do a lot of research. I will warn people that alternate history, to do it properly, requires a lot of research. Yes. The only subgenre in science fiction or fantasy I can think of that requires an equivalent amount of research is hard SF. Mm -hmm. uh, and just be aware of that. I have to budget twice as much time to do an alternate history novel if I'm doing a period I'm not familiar with than I do if I write like fantasy or straight science fiction adventure, because you have to do a lot of research. It's true you can't obsess with it, over it, but if you don't do the research and don't do the deeds to get to know that period, the book is not going to be a very good one. It just, it really yes. won't, it won't read right to readers. It, it will, they'll be able to feel, even if they don't know the period, they'll yeah. be able to sense there's something. Can you get away with the, uh, the little fact, big lie trick? You take something small, explain it in great detail so that you convince your audience you know what you're talking about, and then just sort of whitewash past a... Uh, a, a whopper. That well, you're you ask have to, to do that. You have yeah. to do that if you're an author. You honestly do. I don't care what you're writing. If okay. it's got any kind of real background, what you do is you try to bring in lots of facts and details that you know about. So it looks very rich to the reader, and you sort of distract them from the fact that a lot of this is just kind of a blank. Yeah. background because you have to do that anyway because digitation. You, We've yeah. talked you about honestly it have past. to do that mm -hmm. no matter what you're writing. At, at the same time, like um, Sherry Priest in her Dreadnought series, basically the Civil War has lasted about 20 years longer than it did originally. There are zombies and um, and she needed the she needed the King Street Tower to be built about 10 years before it was. So she did. Well, I remember her Seattle had a much larger population than Seattle yeah, back then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which she figured made sense given you know the war lasting longer. Right. Mm -hmm. People will write in and complain about the t the King Street Station Tower existing ten years before it really existed. They have no problems with the zombies. They don't have any problems with the Civil War lasting <laughs> twenty years longer. But people have. I mean, I have seen comments on on Amazon that people have thrown the book down in disgust. <laughs> 
because she's got the King Street Station existing That's and it shouldn't funny. yet. Yeah, although uh, she's right, Mary's right. Although my advice to any author is do not pay much attention to Amazon yeah. reviews. Um, hey, you know what? If somebody read your book and threw it down in disgust, eh, you've got their money. Yeah. Well, and I've also beyond had that, it's, there's also there's a self-selection process yeah. as to the yeah. kind of person who's likely to write. Most people are going to take stuff like that in pretty good humor. Mm -hmm. I mean, if the book's good and they're enjoying the story. And anybody who gets that bent out of shape about something like that is probably somebody who was waiting to get bent out of shape about something. And, oh, boy, you happen to be the one who gave them the target. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't worry too much about that. The reason I do tend to get a little obsessive about the details is just because I'll give you an example of 1632 series. Most of the, we call them downtimers, the, the people of the 17th century who appear in the series, if they are of a certain high enough social class, they're almost all people who actually existed. We will do right. the research and find someone who actually existed who sort of fits the character, even though the number of people, even in Germany, which is most of the series is set, who are going to know that is tiny. And as far as American readers, mm -hmm. or most of them, there may be three doctoral, you know, people yeah. with doctorates in German history who will know any of this. But still, it keeps the author, honest, and authors honest and mm -hmm. on their toes. It really does. I try. Well, to and it's it probably feels if you're writing, if you're interested in writing alternate history, um, the ability to open up a a you know genealogy of uh, southern Germany from the 16th yeah. century and lift out a name and a family and put that in the book probably kind of thrilling for you you've brought somebody back to life yeah. well I yeah and also the other thing I would recommend is try if you possibly can to find some people because Mary's right and if you're writing historical fiction and you're a novelist and you're making a living at it you have a few months to do the same research that a scholar would spend an entire career yes. doing. Mm -hmm. So if you're smart, you'll try to find that scholar. Exactly. <laughs> and make friends with them. See and far by SF, standing on the shoulder of a giant. And hard SF, you do the same thing. I've written a hard SF novel, Reichsport, and we had real rocket scientists who were advising us to tell us if we got something That was wrong. Uh, threshold and boundary, boundary wasn't it? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, and now, I, I think this brings up a good question, which is uh, how much of the detail that you research do you want to put into it? And, uh, and how do you find that balance well, between telling a good story and making use of the research you've I done? mean, it, it's the same as any other story. You only put the detail in if you need it to move the yeah. plot forward, tell something about the character, set the stage. Um, there are things that I put in to Shades of Milk and Honey that I cut because the amount of effort that it would have taken to explain it to a modern audience was just not worth the effort. Um, and it wasn't salient mm -hmm. with regard to right. well, and, and I know one of the examples of that from your blog was, uh, was the crossed crossing, letter. crossing a letter. Yeah, the crossed letters, um, which is basically they, in, in the Regency, this is too much detail for this, but in the Regency <laughs> there was this type of thing called a crossed letter, which you can visit my blog to find out more about. Um, and it was reusing paper. It was re mm -hmm. it wasn't reusing it, paper. It was conserving paper. Now I'm just going oh, to explain right. it because we've spent so much time on it. Um, basically, that's you fine. would you would write the letter and then you would turn it 90 degrees and write across it because postage was charged based on the number of sheets of paper. 
Okay. And the person receiving the letter was the one who had to pay for it. I actually wrote notes like that to girls in grade school. <laughs> I thought <laughs> I thought it was a form of encryption. Yes. It turns out it's not. It no. Turns out it's not. No. Okay, let's do one more question. We're uh, uh, pushing the boundaries yeah. of 15 minutes uh, <laughs> significantly. Well, yeah, we you know what we make we we afford a little pad in the middle yeah. for the ad. So. Uh, uh, one more question, and this question is, what is the biggest challenge that you faced personally writing an alternate history, and how did you, how did you clear that hurdle? How did you overcome it? Um, one of the things, it's twofold. Um, one was making it accessible to a modern audience, and the other was making sure that my characters did not have modern audience, did not have modern attitudes, while making them people that a modern reader would care about. You know, a, a woman in Gee, 18... that's not a tall order at all, Mary. No. How'd you pull it off? Um, sometimes not successfully, sometimes successfully, hopefully. Um, basically, what I, I did was I, I did a little more explaining about emotional reactions than I would if I were writing a contemporary book. I, I treated the history as if it were a secondary world fantasy, because it is a foreign country to my modern readers. Cool. All right. Eric, same question. Uh, it's very similar to what Mary said. The, uh, when I wrote my series set in American Jacksonian period, uh, there's two books so far out in that series, 1812, The Rivers of War, and 1824, The Arkansas War. And the theme of the book, it deals very heavily into race in America. And you've got character. This is pure alternate history. There's no time travel element involved. So I, don't, I can't bring in a modern character with modern right. views. Right. And all white people at the time had attitudes that we would consider racist uh, today. Mm -hmm. Egregiously. 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 And so, you know, it's tricky. How do you, you know, have characters that, that modern readers can still identify with? So one thing I did was I, I chose Sam Houston as my central character because of all the people prominent at the time that people know about, his attitudes on race were the closest you'll find to modern ones. Mm -hmm. um, and so you make him the central viewpoint character, and he's attractive. I also invented a character who is a um, uh, he's sort of loosely based on a real one, who's an Irish uh, revolutionary nationalist from the uh, men of 98, and he's now emigrating to the United States, and he's got radical attitudes on race, mostly because he's got radical attitudes in general. Um, so I've got characters people can identify with, and then you give the different viewpoints of whites, Indians, and blacks, and you try to be true to the period and, and enable people to understand how everyone's thinking and why they're thinking so that nobody's a caricature. It's a yep. challenge, it really is, and I think I did a good job of it, but it was, uh, I felt at times like I was walking on eggshells. Well, that sounds yeah. fascinating. What were those titles again? The Arkansas War? 1812, and... The Rivers of War, and 1824, The Arkansas War. I published them initially at Del Rey, and then Del Rey didn't want to continue the series, so I took it over, and Maine has picked it up. So I've got contract to do two more books with Maine. Excellent. Well, Eric, Mary, uh, thank you for thank you for joining us. Um, we're going to wrap up with a writing prompt. Dan, do you have a writing prompt I for do us? indeed. We're going to just do the classic branching point alternate history. Pick a major event in history that you happen to love, decide that it comes out differently and then write a little story. So it's a duck, Mr. President. Well, not, not a time travel, but like a branching point. Oh, okay. A, where some somebody won the wrong war or lost the war or Horseshoe the fell wrong off. thing mm -hmm. happened and uh, then write a story that takes place 100 years later. 
Excellent. Well, this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.